Welcome back to another episode of Changing Climates, an initiative brought to you by the Community Climate Council. Today's episode is part two of Miranda's sit-down chat with Joe Pidonquith of Creators Garden. In this episode, Joe gives us some insight on how climate change is affecting medicinal plants and what we as humans can do to help these endangered plants. But more importantly, Joe explains to us why it's so important for us to do so. Stay tuned. Thank you all for joining us for the second part of this chat. I have Joe here from Creators Garden, and he's going to discuss the climate change side of things. So we learned all about uh, local medicine and kind of re-envisioning the landscape. But in the context of climate change, we definitely have seen a lot of local changes, especially here in Ontario, with, you know, ticks coming in, just as one example. Um, I got bit by a tick last fall, and it was definitely not fun. You have to go on a week of antibiotics, and, you know, a lot of doctors have no idea how to react. They don't know anything about different species of ticks, um, because this is a very common issue in the States. But, of course, these little beautiful creatures are creeping their way up north, and they're finding um, Ontario to be a really great home. But... In maple syrup season, that's another way that we found it. So at work, um, a part of what I do is harvest sap from trees. And when we did that this year, it was by far the shortest maple syrup season we've ever had because we completely skipped over this incredibly important freezing process that the trees need to go through. And it kind of just went straight from winter right into spring and um, we didn't experience that slow gradual thaw into spring so that really made me think about how so many other plants might have been affected and I don't know if Joe would like to just jump in and see how has climate change impacted medicines and plants at a local level yeah um well that's really fun because uh when we look at when we look at Diff- all of the different plants so one of one of the one of the first things like a starting a starting point in understanding is that uh um like all of the pursuits that have been done on trying to um uh uh trying to cultivate all of the different plants especially to use them as medicine uh one of the biggest uh, I don't know how you would say like rejection points is because um, um, either the plant would not grow in a cultivated setting or it wouldn't have the medicine that it needed. But even then, there was still huge problems in the germination. The, the plants just wouldn't wouldn't germinate. I mean, or the seeds wouldn't germinate because right. they, they rely on such a delicate process. Uh, and, and so... Um, so when we talk about, um, well, well, yeah, I mean the the whole system that that plants rely on in order for seed distribution is all everything. Everything's all broken. So I guess one of the one of the first issues before before we go there because that's that's a whole story in and of itself. But but uh, one of the things is that uh, plants will. Well, hey, you know what. Now I could share something really cool. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, the the plants that grow he- in this part of the world have a really spe- are like extremely finicky with germination. Uh, so okay. So uh, they have to go through like the stratification process for well, a lot of species have to, the seeds have to be stratified. So they have to be at a certain temperature or frozen or, or very cold for a certain amount of time uh, before they will germinate. Uh, so, so there's that, but then for, for so many different species, especially medicinal species, they have to be stratified the, in the first year that that seed was produced. So if, uh, and for some of these species, uh, it's three months. So the plant has to be cold stratified for three months. It has to be below freezing and moist for three months. And uh, like Toronto, some years does not get this. And so all of those mm-hmm. seeds are are being destroyed. Uh, their their viability is being destroyed be- simply because they're not achieving that, that frozen 
uh, aspect that stratification is not being satisfied. So there's a real huge issue there. And, and if that creeps up north from Toronto, like ticks is one thing. Yeah, that, that sucks. But if, if this starts happening up north, then this is like plant reproduction is not going to be is not going to be happening for so many different species. Uh, right. And, and then uh, and then think about the loss of medicine that's paired with that. Right. Or if not the loss, at least the adjustment of cultivating it and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. this is going to be impeding on human life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so. So, yeah, there's the there's the stratification. That's an issue. Um, what else was I going to say? There is the. Um, well, I guess it's hard. Well, I'll just say it now. I mean, uh, the, the, the system that plants rely on for uh, reproduction here is super sensitive. Uh, so where, where it starts, the, the ideas that we have is that um, uh, birds will eat seeds and then, and then wherever the bird poops, that's where the seed grows. And so we have right. we have this idea, right? But but the, the reality is is that this this does not apply to the Great Lakes. Birds do not do that. Oh, really? Uh, this is only true, like in other in other parts of the world, like in in Europe and in Asia, for sure. Probably in the jungle, uh, they're responsible for seed distribution there. But when it comes to plants from the Great Lakes, birds actually end up being one of the worst enemies uh, of plants and and of seeds and and that whole reproductive cycle because they digest them and destroy them. Birds and rat, uh, birds. Um, and chipmunks and squirrels and mice, uh, they all eat the seeds and digest them and destroy them. Uh, mm. So they end up being one of the worst enemies here. The system that plant medicine or that plants, sorry, and consequently plant medicines rely on here is a really delicate relationship but that, that starts with ants. Ants are the ones that collect all of the seeds. Uh, and the reason why they collect all of the seeds is because the, the, the seeds have this crust on it called the eliasome. And that eliasome effectively prevents that seed from being able to germinate. It's like a case that keeps it locked away. And the ants because that eliasome is nutritionally complete for an ant, just like a just like a a mouse's head is nutritionally complete for a cat. Uh, <laughs> ants are super obsessed with seeds, and so they go out and and collect ton, tons of seeds and bring them home and eat the eliasome. Uh, and so when they eat the eliasome, they're essentially preparing that seed for germination. And, 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 and what they, and so now the seed is ready to go. Now it's like, okay, I'm good. But the ants will store that seed in a midden. Um, they sometimes will throw them out, eject them out the top of their house, but more often than okay. not, they, they create a giant cave and store all of the seeds uh, in, in, a, in a midden. And then from there, uh, the seeds will just stay there forever and not germinate, not become plants. Uh, they're they're stored, uh, and, and but from there, black bears will come in and they're, they they eat tons of ant larvae. Uh, so um, what happens is the the the, the ants larvae is going to be uh, they're growing in a cave in a little cavern <laughs> that's right beside their midden full of seeds. And so the okay. black bear, when he comes in, he reaches in with his big fat paws and, and for all the larvae. Uh, but what he ends up gathering a ton of is a bunch of the seeds as well. So he just indiscriminately eating a bunch of larvae and seeds and, uh, and, and the bear's digestive system, I mean, we have such a strong, like, reverence for bears because they have, uh, they have an understanding in themselves, an understanding of different medicines. You know, they're, they're, they're a species that's observed in uh, being able to use plants to treat themselves uh, when, when, wow. when they get sick or injured. Yeah. So they have this repertoire of medicine that that's incredible that we've been able to observe. Yeah. And so we observe this. And so bears are bears have a really important role in, uh, in medicinal knowledge. And so, uh, so yeah, there's this really high, really tall reverence for for bears in uh, in medicinal tr traditional medicinal knowledge, uh, but 
What the Bears do, though, one, one of my favorite impacts that Bears have uh, is being able to grab all of those seeds that would just stay in the anthill indefinitely. They bring all of them out and eat them. And, and thankfully, a Bears digestive tract is like this big. It's like a foot long. It's so short, and it, and it, and it sucks. It, it's like... It, <laughs> Very inefficient. Yeah, it's 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 horrible, and uh, and so when the bear, you know, uh, poops, uh, that big pile of poop, um, what happens is deer mice will see that and just say, "Hey, look at all that! That's still fair game. There's so much nutrients in there. All those seeds, the bear did not absorb anything, and so uh, so the bear, like his digestive system, protects all of those medicines go through him." Uh, and then when he when he pees or when he poops, then the, that big pile of uh, seeds, that big pile of poop, is food for mice. So the mouse will go to that big pile and scavenge through it all, grab all of those seeds, and then uh, in a whole network of trails, that mouse is going to bury all of those uh, seeds for food, and he'll bury them about a centimeter, a centimeter and a half deep in, in this whole system of trails that he will eat throughout the entire winter. Uh, so that'll be his food. But then the mouse will digest those seeds and destroy them. Uh, and mouse, uh, unlike squirrels, uh, mouse will, will, uh, has a harder time forgetting where all of their food is. Squirrels forget everything. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, uh, but a mouse won't. So he'll find all of those and end up eating all of it uh, and destroying all of those plants. Right. But um, whenever you're out, like if you're out with a, with somebody who like a, a, a traditional knowledge holder, uh, and especially if they know about medicine or if they just like, if they're just, a, you know, I don't know how to say, like just have an understanding of how this world works. Uh, they have tradition to adhere to and, uh, and practices that, that they adhere to, that they were given by their parents. And, and um, regardless of what you say, they, they know what they're doing. And because I get caught in this all the time, like I was over with one guy and uh, um, he wanted a plant that he wanted to pick for medicine. So I was like, you know, rather than me just going out and grabbing it and bringing it to you, come to a, come for a ride to the forest with me and then we'll go pick it together. And at the point, like we, we had no we had no money for gas, uh, but, you know, we scrounged up enough to be able to go to the bush and back and take him. And so we were out. And uh, uh, it takes like a, an hour and a half to get to the spot. And then mm -hmm. we were there. All of this, the, the plant that he wanted, it's very hard to find uh, um, uh, in thick, like harvestable patches. And so I showed him the patch and he was like, whoa, it was just loaded. He's, he was just glowing. He was so happy. And then he started walking and then, and then he saw a snake and then, and then he just turned around, you know, didn't skip the beat, just turned around, sat in the truck. And, and I was like, I was like, Oh, well, I guess maybe he just wants me to be picking. So I started picking and then he yells, let's go. And I was what? like, I was like, what? I just spent like my last <laughs> coins to pay for gas to come out here dedicating all day so you could pick this and you just want to leave and then so i went and asked him and he was like oh yeah i saw i saw a snake we have to leave and i was like <laughs> what he saw a snake you scared of snakes still how long have you been on this earth and and uh well of course i didn't say none of that i was just like oh okay well let's go then and uh so we la but uh, yeah it was like real frustrating for me and so uh in revisiting that day uh um he said that yeah whenever you see a snake you ca you can't go there anymore uh uh they're they're protecting medicine they're, they're protecting that. And so you can't, you can't bother them. And then, uh, uh, same, same guy, uh, wow. he, he, we, we, we get these calendars mm -hmm. in my community. We get these calendars that, um, uh, everybody has the same calendar. It's like a tiny little community, one store. So when you need a calendar, you go to the one store and everybody gets the same calendar. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I knew like what month it was and it was a nice uh, picture of an owl and then, you know, the, those, those uh, regular size calendars. Uh, so it was a nice owl. It was like July or something. And then, and then I went to go visit him and then I, I saw his calendar, but it was the previous month was there. 
the previous picture. I forget what it was, but it wasn't the owl, but it said July. And I was like, hey, where did your picture? I have a picture of an owl. And I thought all the calendars were different, but he was like, no, no, you, you can't have that in. You can't look at those. And I was like, what do you mean I can't look at those? He's like, those are owls. He said, I was taught every, you can't even look at owls. Otherwise, everyone is going to die. What? <laughs> and I was like, what? Everyone is going to die. And yeah, that's what he says, though. And so he's like, that's why I don't got no owls in here. You, you, you can't even, you can't bring those into your home. And, and it was really unusual. And so, like, I wanted to figure out why. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, after poking and prodding at this idea for so long, uh, about how if you look at an owl, then everyone is going to die. Uh, what we're talking about there is, um, is uh, so you remember like ants will go and collect all of the seeds and they eat the eleasome, preparing that seed to germinate. Then the bears come and grab all those seeds and transport them to a new area, deposit them. <laughs> and uh, mice will go into that big pile of poop and grab all the seeds and then plant them or bury them throughout the whole forest floor and eat them and digest them and destroy them. But uh, it's snakes that are going to remove the mouse and owls will remove the mouse. And like one family of, uh, of barred owls can eat almost 30,000 mice in a year. That's how many mice they remove. So when you remove the mouse, what ends up happening is that all those seeds will not become food. They will be planted and germinate and turn into the plants that we call medicine. And if you're walking through the forest and if you see an owl and you bug in it, you're going to be impeding on that owl's ability to be able to remove the mouse. If you're messing around with the snake, you're impeding on that snake's ability to remove the mouse. And so all of the seeds that, that all of the medicines that would be planted, uh, um, you're impeding on that process. And so um, when we're talking about adherence to traditional protocol, if you want to be able to live the life that this land is designed to provide, you got to leave the owls alone. You got to leave the snakes alone uh, because they're doing their thing. They're going to remove all of the mice. All of that medicine is going to be planting. If you ruin that, if you ruin owls, if you ruin snakes, uh, bothering them all day, then uh, what happens is, the medicine doesn't get planted. The diversity is not there. The right. plant, plant communities diminish. And, and then no one has medicine, food, utility, and everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they're talking about. And, uh, and so you think of, you, now, now you apply this to climate change. Now you apply this to what, what, we, what we understand about climate change now and about, like there's the cold, there's the need for stratification, uh, but there's also the need for uh, uh, a, a more inquiry into how a plant can germinate. Uh, like, so, so um, like uh, pitcher plants. Pitcher plants, Saracenia, purpurea. Um, Are those we, the ones that eat insects? They're carnivores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're 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 carnivores. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're the coolest thing. Um, but they're beautiful they're, too. Yeah, they're incredible. They're uh, they're really amazing medicine. We use them for sciatica, and uh, uh, the um, uh, pitcher plants those seeds because of where it grows, right? Where that plant. Likes in to bogs grow. and marshes, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, okay. sphagnum bogs. And uh, one thing about where it grows, like where there's lots of moss, like sphagnum moss is, is incredibly effective at removing, uh, soaking up all the minerals. And so it's basically like, right. it, it, it's like sitting in distilled water. And so the germination process uh, requires only germinate, only, oh, it can, the, that seed is only going to germinate inside of, well, distilled water. And so if you use spring water, it's nothing's going to happen. And so, really? yeah. And so there, there's, so there's a, like the plants here are so particular, whereas uh, other species that are occurring in other parts of the world are pretty nonspecific. They can kind of germinate anywhere and, uh, and can be then cultivated, propagated, but the plants here reject that are so sensitive, like even striped maple, uh, striped maple grows uh, or will only germinate if it's like Five, four degrees Celsius for like nine days in a row. 
if there's fluctuations there, none of those seeds will germinate and they will all be not, the, uh, the viability will, will just plummet from there from year after year of not achieving that particular temperature for that exact period mm -hmm. of time. And so there needs to be more inquiry to the indigenous species that are here uh, and to identify uh, all of these really, all of these, uh, the specificities that the plant has embedded within it uh, as to where, how it can be germinated and, and then incorporated into nurseries and, and, uh, and then used in like different archeological, I mean, archeological uh, uh, architect and design, uh, mm -hmm. you know, different, like replacing uh, uh, um, uh, there's a couple really cool organizations. I forget what they are. One of them I, I'm doing a couple projects with right now, Brooke, Brooke McElroy, uh, to um, uh, using indigenous species in their in gardens and in landscaping and stuff like that. Awesome. Uh, so, so, so yeah, there needs to be more inquiry as to how, like to get more indigenous species into, into plant nurseries and with, uh, with all of those uh, specifications understood and, and met. Um, but then, yeah, it's understanding too the relationship between ants and bears and mice and owls and snakes and all, all of this and your role within that. And so for some places and for a lot of people, yeah, the way that it used to be is that, all you have to do is leave owls and snakes alone. That was a big one. Uh, the other ones, uh, like as far as sustainability and uh, um, uh, uh, maybe not so specific to climate change, but when when you look at um, when you look at our culture, our whole culture and knowledge base and knowledge system and and worldview is completely dedicated and constantly surrounded by enveloped by plant medicine it's like a gift that we know that we have and so our entire lifestyle forces us to be able to remember it and be constantly exposed and engaging with it like we have one of our uh uh one of the um uh one of the types of drums that we make one of the most important drums that we have is a water drum and in order to make this drum you have to have uh, it uses you need round stones to and they create the leverage to be able to tighten the the skin uh, and and so those leverage points will only have round stones inside and so there's multiple okay. ways that, that you know you could wait your whole life and every time that you find a round stone to keep it and and eventually you'll have enough to create this this uh, this type of drum but um uh, there's different ways to kind of like, I don't know, hack the system. The ants are obsessed with things that are round. And so uh, a lot of communities, the way that they make their water drums is that they will just, uh, you reach into a giant ant hill. <laughs> and, and because ants are obsessed with round things, they'll always take the, these, the roundest stones and deposit them inside of their, inside of their home. Uh, so you just... They've already collected yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> they've collected them. So you reach in and then you pull out all of those stones and then, and then you could make, you can make this drum and be a part of these, these, uh, these, these wow. ceremonies from there. Uh, but what you're doing is you're basically being like a bear. You're reaching into that anthill and bringing up all of this medicine. And then that can be then, uh, uh, start your, so, so you're playing the part of the bear and, and, and playing that part in that process. And, uh, and, and then, um, like when we make uh, uh, rattles for babies uh, is mm -hmm. a very important thing for us uh, because um, we like you're growing, you're, you're, you're baby growing, you're a little fetus and, and you're in this little warm liquidy bubble. And, and so your sound, your ability to hear is developed. Uh, and the only sound that you hear is like a bunch of muffled people yelling at mommy's belly but then <laughs> but then you get this uh um you get the the only sound that you hear you can hear it when you do an ultrasound and you hear the mm -hmm. you hear the heartbeat of the baby all the baby hears the whole time is the heartbeat of mommy and probably some 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 gi uh bubbles <laughs> here and there but generally it's right. just a constant whew, 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 
like the, the heartbeat, right? And all of the blood coursing through mommy and th that they're completely surrounded by this rhythm their entire life. Uh, uh, and then when they come out, they're separated from that. Uh, yeah. And so one of the things that we will say is that, uh, um, um, yeah, so when babies, when they first pop out, that's one of the first little instruments we'll give them is a rattle. And so the rattle will have a bunch of little stones inside. And then when they when they shake it, they could hear that sound again. And, and so it's comforting for them to be and to understand that the sounds that were in there are still here. And so I guess I can kind of get used to it out here. <laughs> um, but that's incredible. And that kind of reminds me of music as well. I think that there are so many studies of like, you know, just having a beat in the background yeah. of music and why we're all so connected to music, yeah. like from tribal times, like, or, you know, it's just amazing. It's just such a human deep connection that we have to just the beat of music. And you, what you just said kind of connected me to that. It was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing. That's where it starts. Yeah. You're just surrounded by that mm. for, for months and, and then and then you pop out and then it's like a bunch of bright lights and no more music and <laughs> sterility everywhere and it's like ah what is this i don't want to be here it's, it's all bright and cold and there's no water um, and then it's a trap <laughs> yeah yeah for years to come yeah no. <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah the, no, that's incredible the um the the rattle that we make though we, we don't just make it like any any like just any anything that can hold a couple corn seeds or whatever we'll, we'll put uh, uh the the process for making it is really particular so you know grouse uh like rough grouse yes. and spruce grouse they they have this crop where they eat food they got a bunch of berries and seeds and, and leaves and stuff and they deposit all that food in their crop right this big uh distendable organ underneath their chin and um and then from there, it goes from the crop into their gizzard because birds do not have teeth. Uh, so they go, they have a giant muscle inside their, inside their body that they fill up with little stones, little rocks that, that uh, will fill up inside of that gizzard. And that gizzard, that wow. muscle will, will mechanically crush all of the rocks and leaves and berries and things together. So it's basically like their mouth. <laughs> A gizzard is mm -hmm. like their mouth and the, the rocks they collect are like their teeth. Um, and so that's how they digest all of their food, right? So for the rattle, we take their crop. Uh, we take that crop off of their neck and it's like see-through. It's not, uh, it's not like, like any other type of hide. It's like, it's clear and, uh, and it's distendable. So you can sort of blow it up like a balloon and, and have it like almost the size of a softball. Uh, oh, wow. and, and, and then you let it dry like that. And so mm -hmm. it dries, it's clear and, and it ends up drying pretty solid. And, uh, and, and then what we do is we take all of the little stones that the, that the bird grouse will collect and deposit in the gizzard. We'll take those stones and put them inside of the rattle. Uh, but one of the things to understand is, uh, is the stones that that bird will collect. He's not just, grabbing any stone that he wants he's 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 really particular to only grab super hard stones and so actually flint stones any stone that's like a hardness of seven or above is the type that he's going to grab and so what he does is he waits for a certain type when the sun's at a certain angle and they rush out to the road or to where there's little stones and then sort of look for reflections to find because that's an indication of a flintstone is to have smooth surfaces that will cause a reflection right they're like a gemstone and, right. and so they go on they're looking and then they find they and they grab it they'll grab one and they'll put it on a flat spot and then they'll sit there and look at it real long <laughs> before they finally grab it and deposit it in their gizzard so they put a lot of time and effort into into that collection mm -hmm. and then and then uh yeah we so we collect those and put them inside of the rattle for the babies and uh and so because the stones that are put in there are flint stones uh um what ends up happening too is that lights up so the flint is hitting each other and creating little sparks and uh and so when the baby is is rattling their rattle 
uh, it'll be making that comforting sound, but it'll also have little uh, lights from the flint hitting each other oh, wow. uh, in inside. So it's real nice to see that. But huh. when, um, when, when you're the whole process for making that, you're, you're pulling all of the plant matter out of the gizzard and sort of realizing that, like looking at all of these different species of plants that this bird likes. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also when you open the gizzard, you get all of the different types of seeds from all of the different plants that it, that it eats. Okay. And so you get all these different seeds. And my daughter, because of the work that we do with medicine, she was looking at all those different seeds and, and she was identifying them. Oh, that's a choke cherry. There's lots of bearberry in here. And she's, Your daughter and she, can identify that? That's incredible. Yeah, all of the different seeds. And then, and then, uh, and, and then um, yeah, so then we, yeah, we just took out all those little, all the little stones, all the little flint stones. It actually ends up being mostly uh, quartz. Um, wow. that they that they use and yeah wow. so so then it lights up but the whole process for making that rattle you're completely surrounded by plants and plant medicine and uh and so oh, all of the uh the whole lifestyle that we have is just forcing us to constantly be in memory of reminding us of uh how important plants and plant medicine are and and so um <clears throat> see what i mean just rambling i forget what i was saying even um, something about climate change. I don't know if it connects to that one. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So I guess I mainly just wanted to say that um, re regarding climate change, I guess one of the biggest things is, uh, is of course, everybody who's living this in this part of the world is separate from the, the knowledges that are required for to, to be able to live the life that this land is designed to provide us. Uh, everybody who's living here is separate from all of those. Uh, and then on top of that too, like when you look at diversity, of course, like in Toronto, um, when's the last time there has been a bear in Southern Ontario, like in Toronto and the GTA? Uh, and so how often are you, are you having, you might have ants that are collecting all of these seeds year after year, decade after decade, but you don't have any bears that are pulling this up. And then you don't have anybody in Toronto who's like saying, okay, well, let's, let's bring this knowledge back and let's start making water drums again. We need those round stones. We need to go into the anthills and collect all of this. You don't have anybody doing that either. You don't have anybody who's saying, you don't have any grouse to be able to engage in this pra practice of, or this knowledge to be able to make a rattle for a baby. And so there's no, there's no memory or practice of this. And there's no implement. There's, this process is broken. Like from ants and bears and mice and owls and, and snakes, there's no bears. There's, there's very little owls. There's, there's no snakes. Uh, and so the whole system is broken. And there's no people there practicing, uh, practicing these knowledges um, to, 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 to be those... I don't want to say substitutes, but to like allow uh, the system to flourish. Yeah, to, to 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 just keep it going. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, these are things that we would be doing on top of bears. On top of bears, we're we're making water drones. On top of and and we're we're involving ourselves in all of these knowledges and and practices. Uh, on top of the natural process itself, mm -hmm. but now you have places developed places that do not have the natural process is totally broken, but also like there's nobody even there trying to pick up the pieces. It's just like, you know, and then we're like, uh, how come there's no diversity of plants in Toronto? <laughs> maybe, we, maybe we would have a little bit more of that if there were bears or if there were people uh, supporting the whole process of, of uh, you know, all of these different knowledges and traditions. Yeah. Right. That's great. And I think on the note of bears, I think it's always common knowledge that bears just live up north. You know, they don't really exist in southern Ontario. They're just up there somewhere. But there was never a thought that, you know, they once did exist here. And why have they moved up there? Um, yeah. There's never that thought. It's just always like bears are away. So it's really interesting that you brought that up. Um, it also kind of answers one of our council members. She asked a question of how cultivating medicine kind of contributes to biodiversity. And I think you totally just spoke to that very well. So 
that kind of cover that. Um, yeah, it's completely necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when we look at so this speaks to the uh, to the issue of uh, peel. Uh, when, 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 when we're so, so human, not intervention, uh, um, manipulation is, uh, well, I guess I cannot even say necessary for plants to thrive. Um, but it's an important aspect because, um, we're, we're the only creature that can look at a, that can, that, that can be in a relationship with a plant. Um, no other creature on the planet can. As that rubs a lot of people the wrong way, so let me explain. The uh, <laughs> the the um, uh, w- when you go to enter into a relationship with a plant, what one of the things that you do is you first uh, identify what its name is. What, what is it? What is it called? Mm-hmm. You know, just like when you meet somebody else. When you meet, whenever you meet somebody for the first time, it's usually like, "Hey, what's your name?" <laughs> and then you go from where do there. you come from what yeah. are your needs like, yeah. yeah yeah well that comes out so you learn what their name is first and so that's what i always tell everybody is that like first step into understanding medicinal knowledge plant knowledge generally is to just focus on identification and their mm-hmm. and all of their names uh, and then from there you can learn what kind of gifts that that plant can have to give you uh just like you do with people when you meet somebody it's like hey what's your name uh one of the things that i like to say uh, my wife hates it when i say this uh she's been trying to get me to not say it but I have no other way of saying it, but because I think that every relationship begins selfishly. You begin every relationship selfishly. And so when you go to meet somebody for the first day, you ask them, hey, what's your name? Uh, right away, you're going to see if this person has something to benefit you. So you ask them, like, where did you go to school? Uh, what are you an expert in? What do you love doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't need any of those things, you're going to forget about this person. Uh, but if you need one of those things and you're like, oh, okay, oh, I could use this. He, he makes the best coffee. I, I love coffee. I need this coffee. <laughs> and so what you're going to do immediately is insert yourself. You're going to be like, okay, well, in your little small talk, right? You're going to tell, tell that person where you went to school, what you're an expert in, and and all of the things that you've studied and, and all of this, right? And, mm-hmm. in, in hopes that this person needs something from you. And if you both need something, if you both can satisfy these, then you will be engaged in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, and that's just the way that it works with people. That's the way that we are. Hey, humans are kind of egotistical. I don't know if I would disagree with that. <laughs> and I mean... <laughs> I'll let you continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my wife does say too, though, that there's probably a nicer way to say it, but maybe there is maybe some of your listeners can help me with that but yeah it's like yeah that's where that's how we start every relationship so i mean i mean whatever whatever but the the thing is is that um we we have uh um we have to extend that to plants as well so when you go to when you're learning about a plant it's, it's like you learn what its name is and then you learn right away what what it can do for you is it food medicine utility how can this plant benefit me that's okay to start from a selfish place but just make sure that you do the same thing and you insert yourself and you identify what this plant might need from you uh, and then support that and so you could be an engaged in a reciprocal relationship and the reason why that I say that this defines us like as a species is because no other animal will do that every other animal on the planet is going to run that plant into extinction if they need it they will consume it until it's gone like the analogy of the caribou on the island right if i forget where it's not even an analogy it actually happened they released a bunch of caribou on this island uh that had a bunch of their food and they reproduced and reproduced and then they eventually ate the all of the food on the island was for the caribou was gone and, and in one year, just the whole population just collapsed. There's no more caribou left alive. They ran everything right into extinction. Every other animal is going to be able to do that. Humans are the only ones that can look at a plant, identify a way that we can help and, uh, 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 and support that plant as well. And so be engaged in a reciprocal relationship with it. And so every plant has a way that you can help it help it and and to help it in its reproductive process so mainly with seed production seed distribution uh and there's so many problems that plants can run into 
namely predation, uh, seed predation by birds and mice and mm -hmm. squirrels and raccoons and everything that is going to be eating the seeds and digesting them and destroying them. You have to get there first, take those seeds and then put them somewhere else. It's sometimes this looks like taking the seeds and giving them directly to ants. Uh, which we do for one particular species uh, for our lung medicine. Uh, Winsicans, we'll call it, Senega snake root, Polygala senega. We take those and seeds and give them to ants. You know how ants, like, they have to smell everything? To, right. That's how they see? The pheromones. Yeah, and, and it's really fun because you take those seeds and you drop them on an anthill. It's like, because ants just are wild with when they come into contact with seeds. It's fun. You take those seeds, drop them on an anthill, and they don't notice because your humanness is all over it. They won't notice for like 10 minutes. And then finally, once your smell has dissipated enough and they start realizing that, hey, what the heck? There's all these seeds. <laughs> they, they just go nuts and, uh, and then take it home. And uh, and they eat that eliaison, prepare the seed, and so you're helping with this whole. You're helping this plant, right? Cre mm -hmm. Creating that seed bank, and and uh, and so that's your way of reciprocating. Uh, but for Senega snake root, that one, that particular species, they, is such an amazing lung medicine. They cult, they try to cultivated and and one of the research it was somebody else somebody's master's research in saskatchewan some grad student was forced to do this there to realize that the there was no way that they could cultivate this plant because it rejects germination uh it, you, the only way that you can properly germ, germinate these seeds is if you had an ant farm was wow. the was the result because mm -hmm. ants prepare the seeds so well the 100 percent germination rate but acid baths and scarification processes at multiple different grits and and strengths for all different times this poor kid's grad work he tried so hard uh and the closest that he got, the most success that he had out of every scarification and acid bath that he tried uh, uh, for like three years, uh, he was able to identify that the maximum that he's able to produce is three out of 100,000 seeds will germinate. That's the best oh that he can do. <laughs> and an ant is like 100%. So... Uh, he's like, why don't these places just have ant farms? That's incredible. <laughs> I think ants are so underrated. They're just incredible. The ways they've adapted, harvest things, you know, leaf cutter ants, how they make mushrooms. Like it blows yeah. my mind. They're oh, incredible. It's insane. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's like, yeah. So we, we, we have the, we have the capacity. We have the gift where we can, engage in plant medicine in a reciprocal responsible way and so but not to forget that we have that responsibility of like our part you know if we're ever mm -hmm. and you know like everybody always knows if you've ever entered into a relationship with somebody where uh you're the only one that's giving yeah it's not gonna take long for you just to cut them right off be like yeah, <laughs> it ain't gonna work yeah no. <laughs> i think i changed my locks man stay at it stay stay away <laughs> you're, you're not giving me not all you do is take that's what happens with plants too right they're just if you're just taking they're just gonna they're just gonna leave mm -hmm. and it's not that they grow legs and run away and hide from you it's that the population the the community of that particular plant is gonna is gonna die uh, and is going to be picked to, to, to the point where it's gone. And so this is what happens. It's one of my favorite ideas and sort of maybe a good prelude into, uh, uh, into talking about the uh, uh, one specific area, like the Peel region, uh, because the first thing that we do when we're, when, when, like when the Schlaba is going into a piece of land, another piece of property, uh, um, what we look for is the health of the, well, is it healthy? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, just like everybody. So, but we measure health differently because like if I'm doing environmental impact assessments with other ecologists, uh, they they identify healthy plant communities when I'm looking from like a medicinal or edible or utilitarian perspective of like from the plant uh, for the plant, they're calling it a healthy plant community, but I'm just looking at it like the, the, this this plant needs help. It looks real sick. Like it's so sparse, it's hardly even there. And mm -hmm. you call it a good community just because it has a couple of plants. I see it as this place is inhospitable. It's not habitable because it doesn't have uh, um, enough to be able to sustain our life. And so we have to be there helping this plant for years 
before that this this area is would be considered healthy or livable mm-hmm. and so it's com- that that engagement is completely necessary uh and so when when you're looking when you're looking at uh um uh yeah it's it's just that funny thing when you when you're looking at an area most areas in ontario would would be looked at uh, to inishaba as being incredibly unhealthy uh, because that human interaction hasn't been there. Those relationships haven't been there for hundreds of years, and that needs to start back up again for the health of us, but also for the health of the plants. And, uh, and because there's no one that has that knowledge to be able to do that, then, then, and it's not happening, then we... So, so here's one funny thing. Uh, one funny thing that that I really like to uh, uh, describe is one time I asked my grandma, she's like our community's biggest resource for language, for Nishabemwen, our language, uh, and uh, w- which is like a dying language. And so she was a, the best, one of the best resource people speaking an old dialect. And so uh, she was, yeah, a really solid resource person. And um, I, so she was for our community and so she was for us. And I remember one time I asked her how she would describe knowledge. How do you say knowledge? And so she says, oh, give me two weeks. I'll think about that. And, and, and uh, two weeks later, she calls us and she says, the way that we would describe knowledge is a lot to it. That's the, our word, if you can say that in English. Oadzuin. And, uh, and, and after this, you know, we're playing with this word because in Nishnavimun, in our language, every sound means something else. Every sound mm-hmm. has a different meaning. And so, like, uh, my last name uh, is Pidantkut. Uh, uh, and it's talking about clouds. Antkut is a cloud. And you could talk about ankur all day, ankur, ankur, ankur. But when you put a B sound in the beginning of the word, B ankur, this is a cloud that is physically, physically present, a cloud that's right in front of you, a cloud that you can see. And so that's what that B sound does when you put it at the beginning of a word, it makes it physically present. Physical, visible, okay. Yeah, and, and so like, it, so when you take in our word that we used to describe knowledge, and you make mm-hmm. in physical, and you so you would say in is knowledge that you could see, knowledge that's right in front of you knowledge that's standing right in front of you staring at you in the face physically present knowledge uh, and bimadzuin is also the word that we use to describe life uh so bimadzuin is is life but the so our word that the way we describe life is is physical knowledge a physical representation of knowledge and so exploring that idea one of the things that we could say confidently is that no one in ontario is alive right now (laughs) no one is alive in my language because no one has the knowledge they need to be able to live here that's really cool and also yeah just the way that i think you mentioned how the word land is like in so many different words and it's just so central to the language yeah that's awesome yeah, it's, it's so so that's a really amazing idea uh, and a really amazing thing to be able to say. So we're all living, we're all of course we're all alive, but we're living in a system that's not a part of Ontario. Uh, mm-hmm. Like like when we need food, we'll go to Sobeys or like Independent or something, right? And when we and and uh, we'll get some bottle, we'll get like Culligan. I don't know where they're getting their water from, but maybe it's not even from Ontario. Uh, and then we have uh, like when we transport ourselves from one place to the other, we're on top of a road that's in a car on top of a road that's on top of Ontario because we still don't even know how to transport ourselves properly in Ontario. We don't understand the the, the roots. And then, uh, but when we get sick or injured, we'll go to the doctor and then we'll go to shoppers. And, uh, and so everything is just floating on top of Ontario. We don't have the knowledge that we need to be able to go to Ontario and say, okay, hey, uh, I want to be able to live the life that you're able to provide uh, because we don't know how. And so medicinal knowledge um, is, is necessary to be able to achieve life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are all of the other things. And we're so separate from that. And so, uh, so separate from it now that even the health of the land itself is suffering. Uh, and, and so knowledge is necessary for us to be able to uh, engage in all of this properly. 
and uh and so when you when you take an area where no one has this knowledge uh um then the land itself suffers definitely and that's why it's so important with the work that you're doing right now not only is the land going to benefit from sharing this type of knowledge but also human health and that's just even more crucial in the context of climate change just that connectedness to land um, just as an aside would you say that yeah. future um, generations are kind of losing this knowledge is there an interest to maintain this knowledge is it being shared more do you think that it should be shared more than it is are you happy with it right now <laughs> yeah so uh uh, there's a lot of people. Want, there's this, you know, resurgence of culture, resurgence of uh, of, uh, of attachment to uh, tradition, and uh, and these these old things. Uh, there certainly is, um, but there's so so many sort of, well, just you know, saying the same thing as everybody else. So many colonial. Uh, oppressive, col colonially oppressive uh, mechanisms that are still at play, keeping yeah. keeping that at bay. Uh, the the desire is there, and there's there's st s small steps that are being made, <laughs> which you know is is pretty good. I'm, I shouldn't be complaining, but uh, there there's uh, um. Yeah, there's well, you know the whole the out of everything that has come out of this whole COVID crisis, uh, I think that that the the shareable uh, uh, shareability or discoverability of this knowledge has just b b gone through the roof uh, because like so you look at the medicinal knowledge. Of course, this is something that Nishabe, us our people have uh, understood is extremely special. Uh, and has understood that has been a very powerful gift that we have uh, to be able to give for the whole world. I mean, we've understood this. And so, uh, um, but that, that knowledge has been abused uh, in, in the way of uh, extractive research uh, and, uh, and something even like really uh, uh, nasty experimentation. Uh, through the whole residential school era, but anyway, uh, the the um, the relationship between uh, First Nations, uh, like Indigenous medicinal knowledge, uh, generally has bad relationships everywhere with everybody uh, because of the way that it has been just uh, extractively uh, stolen, basically. And so now more than ever, we safeguard it uh, and. and um, uh, and are very resistant to to um, teaching about it and learning about it. But when we understand mm -hmm. now that that relationship can be conducted in a better way, uh, and and that uh, you know who who knows what we're what was what we're going to be capable of if things are not done extractively anymore. Like what a perfect time to be able to bring this out to the forefront in this uh, sort of era of human rights to be able to say uh, maybe this can be done properly now. And when that relationship is, is engaged in a proper, proper manner, maybe then, uh, I mean, like what are our accomplishments going to be as far as human health go? Then, if everything that we understand about pharmaceutical industry and drug discovery and all this stuff now exists and has come from a bad relationship, what, what are we going to be capable of when this comes from a good relationship? And so that takes both of us to sort of step up and say, okay, well, uh, um, uh, there's, well, so there's a lot of people now who are more subjecting themselves more often, uh, more to uh, um, sharing. So, so it seemed like a couple of years ago, like I was the only one going around teaching. That's what it felt like. And the demand was so high. Uh, and, and I think one of the main impacts that I had was, uh, was, and one of my favorite things to do is to sort of just allow a community to realize that this knowledge is still here. It, you already have it. You don't need me to keep coming back. It's already here. And so I just sort of teased that out of the, out of the woodwork a little bit to say, okay, here, now you have it already. I'm not coming back. Figure mm -hmm. it out. It's all right there. 
And then that starts very good relationships within the community. And then, yeah, I don't even have to go back. They're doing it all themselves. Wow, it's amazing. That's yeah. perfect. You have to give power to the people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and yeah, being there, like I have to be there basically spoon feeding some communities because that knowledge has just been just completely ripped away. Yeah. And, and so, which is one of the main reasons why I find myself living in southern ontario or as close to southern ontario as i will possibly get uh but in peterborough is because it allows me to be close to the communities that have been uh subjected to the loss of this knowledge more than others uh because they do absolutely they, they need to be yeah like spoon fed because this is completely gone and uh and so but yeah it is sort of waking up more and more there's a couple of other or quite a few other knowledge holders who are uh, comfortable enough to be to be teaching and so it's really nice to be able to see and I think that it's just gonna turn into like this have like this snowball effect and I'm really excited to see that but but so I'm pretty confident and 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 pretty happy into where everything is going we have schools and school boards and universities and colleges all over involving us in their curriculum involving yes. us to be able to create a curriculum to deliver uh uh, courses specific to indigenous medicinal knowledge and understanding these these positionality uh, uh, before mainstream curriculum. That's uh, incredible. So so there's so there's a lot of really amazing things that that are happening, and uh, and yeah, the whole uh, COVID crisis I think uh, so far has proven to be expediting that, to being a catalyst to that process, making things happen even faster. Uh, so so there's a lot of exciting things that are that are happening. It does suck though. I miss uh, you know not having to wear a mask all the time. <laughs> for sure but yeah no i could totally right. see that with the ca uh, council as well we're diving into avenues that we never thought that we would have gone into and it's because of the crisis that we've opened ourselves up to it so thank you so much for everything that you've shared what you're doing is you know incredible and just it's a small piece of a really big picture of uh, bringing traditional ecological knowledge to the forefront and truly we cannot beat climate change or understand how to without like you said getting to know ontario getting to know the land and hearing from indigenous voices and perspectives um that's the only way that we can succeed and move so you are doing an essential part in that bigger picture of climate change and climate justice so thank you Woohoo! yay <laughs> Uh, just before we wrap up, we're at 56 minutes, so just maybe in five minutes, would you like to just blast and say what your Instagram handle is and website so that people can follow you and check out your amazing videos? Oh, dear. Do I remember what everything is? I have a document. I could throw them in at the end if you'd like. I can make <laughs> yeah, no, well, <laughs> okay, no, I understand. Uh, the, um, yeah, so uh, online, I mean, everything is always changing. We're just sort of, this is... We're still in the first attempt, the first phase of our de our development of online engagement, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it's uh, it's been a it's been a ton of fun, and we chose some really unusual avenues. I, I mean, we have our Patreon, uh, our, our Patreon. You could find us there, Creators Garden, that uh, where we talk about um, uh, that. That's uh, dedicated to like a podcast audio edited auto audio only format for now. I think that that might be changing very soon. Uh, but uh, so we have the Patreon podcast. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. And we're starting, we're, we're going to start to probably throw down on that just this weekend. Uh, right now there's like five articles or so. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, yeah, our Instagram handle is, uh, is creators, creators garden. I think it's creators dot garden. I think dot I, it's, garden. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So what I have to do there, uh, but we're, you know, uh, whenever we get to go outside, uh, we have our cameras with us and, we're capturing a load of footage and every now and then I get a couple minutes to whittle some of that down to some YouTube quality content. And so uh, maybe not YouTube quality content, but I'm trying. And so we have a YouTube channel and, and our YouTube channel is, uh, 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 well, you could probably find the Creators Garden, but it's uh, youtube.com slash Joe Pitawanaquit, J-O-E 
P I T A W A N A K W A T. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, but my my favorite, my my most dominant uh, uh, teaching tool right now is mm -hmm. a combination of Discord and Twitch, uh, which are gaming site, gaming streaming services. But uh, they support the 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 teaching style that I have very well. They're very friendly, and so uh, we have a Twitch channel that you could find uh twitch.com or something yeah slash joe pitoanaku again and um and so on there we stream three days a week we stream every monday wednesday and saturday uh anywhere from one hour to three hours depending on the questions that are coming up generally in our discord server so we we have a discord server uh i, I share the uh it's just a bunch of numbers and letters i don't have that memorized but i share it all the time on our Facebook page, uh, Creators Garden Facebook page. See, I'm all over the damn place. But yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, on the Creators Garden Facebook page, you can find our uh, link to our Discord server. And on there is a whole community. Uh, I just launched that, like I think last week, and we're like over 120 people now. Uh, and and I expect that to be well over a thousand people by the end of the summer. Uh, we're on there. I'm on there constantly answering questions. We're developing. Uh, future stream topics uh and uh, and so it's just a really amazing community of everybody uh, you know a lot of us answering each other's questions and and so it doesn't even really need to be me maintaining uh the people are i'm i'm like moderating all of this really amazing discussion and conversation people are sharing their stories their anecdote their their i hate saying testimonials but their experience with plant medicine and how it has helped them and so there's like a slew of really amazing stories to read uh but the yeah the relationship between twitch and discord has been one of the most savvy at, at uh allowing me to be the most effective online uh teacher that i could be perfect and so i'll link all of those in our website so for the viewers listening you can check all of those out uh but to get started i think creatorsgarden.blogspot.com or check them out on facebook and instagram at creators garden get started there but I will give the Twitch details and everything else online. So thank you so much, Joe, for being an amazing guest on the show. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. And of course, thank you to Joe Pivankwit for joining us. We hope you learned as much from him as we did. All of his information, including his website, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch are all in the description check him out. Now, join us next week as I, LJ, interview the ladies of the Corals and the Bees, a climate change advocacy group making waves in the Peel region. See y'all then. Mm -hmm.